I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Gotta let this one play out just a little bit. Just a little bit. Gotta get to the good part at least. All right. Let's ease into this. What a fitting song for our guests this Oh, yeah. Now. Here we go. I have been looking forward to this episode for at least three months. I can attest to that. You've been talking about it longer. As soon yes. as we had him on, uh, had him on the schedule, it's been you, you've been, you've talked about it every week. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so welcome back to Geoholics. Here we are, episode 164. 164. Uh, moving right along. Uh, real quick recap. A uh, couple things new with me. Um, you know how I'm... Like, I get weird about weird sports, you know, like lawn bowling and, of course, being a curler. I'm kind of into, like, the, you know, the, I don't know, the back, back alley sports, I guess, right? The, the, the Ocho specials? Yes. ESPN so like, Ocho? I went down a rabbit hole, and I found this game that these guys in Minnesota made up called Roof Ball. So what they do uh, okay. is they have a football. What? Yep, they're standing in front of their garage, right? And you throw the football up on the roof, and there's like you know a stack here and this over here, and it's like if it goes around the stack, it's a 15 pointer. If it, you know, if it bounces off the car and you catch it, it's 20 points, and this and that. And they sure. had like the world roof ball games. It got to that point where they had like 50 people competing. In Would you say this ball. was Minnesota? It was in Minnesota. Yeah, I believe. people get yeah. bored there. I can yeah. see how there's just not enough to do. So you got to make up games. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty funny. So I highly recommend uh, going down that rabbit hole if you're really bored. Sure. And other than that, I am just really excited about this weekend. Uh, as I do mentioned, tell. curler. And I am competing in the first real curling competition in probably over three years this weekend. What's that called? Wow. It's called a bonspiel. Bonspiel. Bon I knew it was a weird word. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to that. Next week we'll have full update. I cannot wait. Uh, sure. And are you going to send me the YouTube link so I, I can will. watch you live? You can watch it live if, uh, if we're on the right sheet. Yeah, I will. All right. Uh, what's new with you, Sean? Uh, you know, same old, same old. Good week. I'm also very excited uh, for the in the mm. world of mainstream sports. Mm-hmm. Tonight, we're recording on Wednesday night. It was Kevin Durant's first game as yes, a son. Um, uh, he had, I, I just watched the game. Uh, he had a great game. Yep. 20-something points. Nice. Limited minutes. Love it. Awesome. Also, my, uh, in that same trade came a big fan of mine, uh, TJ Warren. Yep. As in, I'm a big fan. He's not a big fan of me. Uh, we went to the same college, so I've always been a Tony Buckets fan. Oh, there so you go. he got some playing time as well. Nice. So I am excited to be a Phoenician So right is, the, now. is the honeymoon over now for Durant or what? It's his first game. It's over, right? Now it's expected he gets at least 20 points. It is, yes. Yeah, but interesting note, uh, since uh, Kevin Booker, or Kevin Booker, since Devin Booker became a son, yeah. he has always been the uh, highest points per game oh, yeah, yeah. player until tonight because oh, Kevin Durant was averaging 30 yep. in the nets, and this first time he's ever not been the highest Highest scoring player. It's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out for sure. And he also had 37 tonight. So, oh wow, (laughs) crazy. Yeah, it was was good. Good, good stuff. All right, we also have Peter with us. Peter, how are you? Hey, I'm good. What's new? Uh, Um, I don't know. I'm just dancing to music that's in my ears at the moment. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Uh, What's new? What's new? I have a new. a new cohort starting for my academy in a month. So I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, you getting some no help? Pers- no personal stuff. It's just, you know, all about my academy. But <laughs> Well, good. Of course. This is a, yeah. a teacher to help you out? 
no, no, no. I've got an actual. Uh, I have a teacher, but I'm actually got new students starting. Oh, new students! That's, That's even bigger news, yeah. actually. Yes. Good I for know. you. It's awesome. Yeah. And, so. and we would be remiss if we didn't wish you and Callie a uh, happy International Women's Month. Thank you. Right? Yes, yes, yes. March. Yes. yes, thank you. Next yeah, Wednesday is International Women's Day. I'm very excited about that to celebrate everything that, you know, we've accomplished and leading the way for women that are coming after us. So thank you. Yep, thank you Absolutely. for everything you do. Um, what else? Uh, you want me to talk about that opening band number? Please do. Uh, mm. All right, well, everyone knows that's Queen. We Will Rock You is the song. I'm going to say this, but everyone already knows it. Queen's a British rock band formed in London in 1970. The band is Freddie Mercury, Brian May, John Deacon, and Roger Taylor. The band is known for their diverse range of musical styles and for Mercury's flamboyant stage presence and powerful vocals. They have sold over 150 million records wow. worldwide, which Unbelievable. is a big number, mm-hmm. and are regarded as one of the greatest rock bands of all time, easily in my opinion. Uh, Freddie Mercury passed away in 1991 due to complications from AIDS, and since that time, Adam Lambert has been fronting the band with great success. Doing a phenomenal job. Uh, that, ah, that is not mean. exactly accurate. Uh, it, he's not been fronting the band since 1991. He has Who? been, it's been oh, re- in the oh, last oh, 10, oh. 15, maybe since 10 years. the time that he died. He that's died in 1991. Adam Lambert no, has been... been... Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's misleading. That's totally misleading. Totally misleading. However, uh, it, I've, I've heard some of that with Adam Lambert and still sounds amazing. amazing. He's got an awesome voice. Absolutely. And it's an awesome band. Yep. In the movie, mm-hmm. phenomenal. Oh, yeah, by far. Unbelievable. And the yes, Live Aid movie. show, that Live Aid show, I mean, obviously, Cal, you're way too young to remember that. You probably were born. <laughs> were you alive when Live Aid... I don't remember it, no. It was like in the, what, early 90s, if I remember No, right? I think it was in the 80s. 80s, it was in the yeah, 80s. It was, it was in like 80, 88 yeah, or something. Yeah, 88 or something. Yeah. One of the best live performances ever. I have seen I have seen a, a recent TikTok that actually shows the yes. movie footage Versus. right next to the actual footage, yep. and they did a great job. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Not only was the Queen show unbelievable, U2 at Live Aid was uh. incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So uh, Google that shit as well. Absolutely. Uh, all yeah. right. Here we uh, are. In where the, are we? We're in the Wisdom Wednesdays uh, uh, studio. Wisdom Wednesdays studio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Wisdom Wednesdays, it's really easy. Go to wisdomwednesdays.xyz. Uh, great resource for anybody you know, looking to expand their knowledge base as it pertains to geospatial and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Again, mm-hmm. another Trent Keenan effort. Absolutely. Um, and I have to mention, Uncle Trent sent me a gift yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows he what I like. He, he does. knows what I like. That. Yes, he sent me. Yes. He was in Springfield at the Illinois uh, Surveyors Conference, mm. and of, and of course, while he was there, he went and visited, you know, the Abe Lincoln stuff and everything. And of course, there was probably an Abe Lincoln gift shop. So uh, mm-hmm. Uncle Trent sent me a T-shirt and a pair of Abe Lincoln socks and a sticker because he knows that Abe Lincoln is my, one of my idols. Uh, I think he is the number one idol. The for, number for you. one. Yeah. Top yeah. of the list. We, we, we talk about it enough. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, great story. Uh, another movie you should watch if you haven't. Uh, moving on. Time for the Airworks somewhat random trivia. Is it random tonight, Sean, or is this uh, strategic? Uh, well, it's uh, it's strategic. It's uh, linked to our guests, which we will introduce in a second. Uh, and they definitely know this. So as mm-hmm. I work my way through some of these uh please guys bear with me but this is some uh ufc trivia oh interesting yes. 
the UFC was founded by businessman Art Davey and a Brazilian martial artist named Rorian Gracie. Big, Big legend in jiu These guys are like, yes. whatever. Uh, the first event was held in 1993 at McNichols Sports Arena in Denver, Colorado. In Denver. In Denver. Interesting. Yeah. That was UFC 1. Yes. Uh, this one I did not know. Uh, the purpose of the early UFC competition was to identify the most effective martial art in a contest with minimal rules and no weight classes between competitors of different fighting disciplines. Interesting. Was not aware. Yes. And uh, here recently, they got a new TV deal. They're expanding into Australia and Asia. I mean, it's turned into a, a massive phenomenon. It's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. A couple other ones that I had to point out. Uh, youngest champion, John Jones, 23 years old. Oldest champion, Randy Couture, 45 years uh, old. Ah, yeah. Uh, longest reign as champion is Anderson Silva with six years. Uh, it's the, a short time. The fastest title fight knockout. Conor McGregor, 13 seconds. Fastest title fight submission, Ronda Rousey, 14 seconds. Uh, and the all-time leader in knockouts is Anderson Silva with 11. And the only fighter to hold UFC titles in two different weight classes simultaneously, Conor McGregor. Interesting. Interesting. Do our uh, our UFC fighters with us this evening have anything to say about those? Is that, is, did he say anything wrong? Um, no, it's actually, yeah. Pretty, pretty cool, actually, the history of the UFC. What a lot of people don't know, because um, I did the Ultimate Fighter Season 5, yep. and uh, after we did that, we got to have uh, dinner with Dana after, and he's like, you guys can ask me anything you guys want, right? Anything you guys want, I'll tell you guys the truth or whatever. And So he gave us a backstory on the UFC and how it started, and uh, he said, you know that movie Casino? Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, who was it? Al Pacino. Uh, Al Pacino. So Al Pacino's character in that movie yeah. is uh, was supposed to be the Fertitta Brothers father in real life so huh. the vertidas are the ones who took it bought it from art davies and they made blew it up into zufa well all that money that that they fronted to blow it up in the zufa was yeah. all it was all connected money all mob money and so they owned all the station casinos all throughout vegas as like a you know like a like a oh a yeah wash everything really yeah awesome. so <laughs> the literal movie of casino was al pacino's character that's the father of the original owners of the ufc wow until they sold it to the mb e company just like what five years ago yeah yeah so um and all fighting sports are rooted in basically like the mob you know even even in, even in japan wow know, the yakuza all their money is what interesting pride and all that and uh, and obviously all the boxing stuff same same yeah. thing yeah yeah, yeah. i hey. never i never knew that well there is yeah. a small sample of what we're about to get into right now <laughs> yes yeah, exactly yeah. and like all the people that worked for the ufc back then they were all italians too all the guys that worked back all italian people so it was, it was interesting <laughs> that's history. awesome and you know what uh, sean and peter will tell you it doesn't take much for me to have a man crush but i think one's forming already he knows dana white oh, for no. god's sakes <laughs> Jesus. You form man crushes with people you meet on the street. So God, not to discount Rob or anything. He's an amazing individual, but it's not uncommon. Oh, my goodness. I have a weakness. He's just a lover. <laughs> just a lover. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on. <laughs> Time for the Advanced Genetics Survey Weekly Words of Wisdom. One of our guests this evening, hopefully he's going to remember this quote. Ah. The first time I was ever asked to fight was while I was watching some other guys fight. 
I was drinking a Corona in one hand and had a pack of donuts in the other. I said, what the yeah, hell? Why not give this a shot? <laughs> the one and only Rob Everson. We'll circle back on that here in a second. I, so. I, I have to say this. Yeah. It is very rare to have the individual with the quote of the weekly words of wisdom in studio with us. Uh, so this that has might to be a first. first. It might be a first. Be a first. <laughs> Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute. Hello, Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. If you've been around the geospatial industry recently, you've probably heard rumblings about a new datum called NatREF 2022. Today we explore those rumors and their implications. First, you're not going crazy. Yes, there is such a thing as NatREF 2022, and no, you didn't just have a flashback of a drop-down pick list of a current set of coordinate system options. NatREF 2022, also known as the North American Terrestrial Reference Frame of 2022, is a new geodetic datum that is replacing the current datum NAD83 in the United States. It is being developed by the NGS, or National Geodetic Survey, of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. The datum NATREF 2022 is important for geospatial professionals in the USA because it will provide a more accurate and reliable reference frame for positioning and navigation. The current NAT83 datum, which last updated in 2007, has become outdated and is no longer able to accurately represent the changing shape and movement of the Earth's surface. This can result in errors in positioning, especially in areas with uh, significant tectonic activity or land subsidence. NatREF 2022 will be based on the latest measurements of the Earth's shape and orientation, including data from global navigation satellite systems. Wait, say that again? Did you just say that it's gonna be better than NAT83? Yes, yes, you heard me correctly. NatREF 2022 is designed to account for the ongoing movement and deformation of the Earth's surface due to plate tectonics. In contrast, NAT83 assumes a static Earth, which can lead to errors in positioning data in areas where activity is high. It also designed to be compatible with other international geodetic reference frames, which improves interoperability and consistency. The official release date for NatREF 2022 is currently expected to be, well, last year. It's important to note that the development and release of new geodetic datums is a complex process and involves extensive testing. Therefore, it's advisable to stay up to date from announce, uh, with announcements from the NGS. Basically, folks, you don't want to be unprepared or late to the party. Yeah, that reminds me. Why did NatREF 2022 arrive late to the party? Well, because it was making sure the coordinates were accurate down to the last decimal place. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. All right, so let's get on this, our uh, quick introduction here. I'm just not yeah. sure about a Corona and a donut. Oh, yeah, they, I think it's a perfect match. 
That's the perfect match for Rob. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I woke up hungover. There was a liquor store across the street, and I was my breakfast. Like, I wasn't planning on Friday. That's awesome. <laughs> Whatever you got to do. All right. So we have uh, with us uh, Callie Spirit Patrick. A little bit about Callie. She's born and raised in Phoenix. Attended or is attending University of Phoenix. In free, her free time, she likes to go on hikes, hang out with her friends, and uh, recovery. Currently... She, she works at a biohacking facility called Reset Mind and Body that provides therapeutic amenities for physical and mental recovery and rehabilitation. So, Kelly, real quick, I met you at Reset. Yes. So now all of a sudden I feel like a lab rat because <laughs> part of a biohacking facility. What is going on here? We're going to have to talk about that. Yeah, that's what we call it. Uh, her career goal is to become a professional MMA fighter. And, of course, we have Rob Emerson. Rob, I'm sorry, the Saint Emerson. The Saint. Rob. <laughs> Born and raised in Southern California, attended Saddleback Community College. In his free time, he enjoys, oh, this is so interesting, studying hidden and forgotten literature, hermetics, and ascended hiking. Currently the head wow. striking coach at the MMA lab right here in Glendale, Arizona. I'm going to have to ask about all of those things you just said. Oh, please do. Please do. First of all, guys, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Welcome absolutely. to the Geoholics. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. This is great. Um, so typically, we do an icebreaker now. It's the Trimble Pro Point icebreaker because everything has to have a name. Mm -hmm. um, we used this question on our last episode and thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah, it was a good one. I'm very so curious. I want to ask you guys, uh, if you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone for the rest of your life, which ones would you keep? Callie, I'll let you go first. Um, I feel like I've deleted a lot of apps, honestly. Um, I feel like I would keep... Probably my phone, like the like the calls. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. so, I can call people because I really like calling people. Like I hate when people text me. Interesting. I can't stand when people text me. I I don't. Like, I text a lot to get like the point across or whatever. But like I would rather call somebody than send a text. Honestly, here here. You are like an old soul. I am. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, the music app, I would keep that for sure, hundred percent. Like if I didn't yep. have music, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Yep. Um, and then Instagram, I have a lot of cool like memories and pictures and stuff, and like a lot of like, I write a lot on Instagram. Like I really like to write, so I think I mm. put a lot of my like thoughts and my imagination and everything like in my Instagram, yep. and I correlate it with like, my posts, and I can sure. also see the progress of like. My training and stuff. So definitely those three. Yep. And not, not to mention the friends that you meet on there. I, and that too. That too. I make a lot of good friends and fans yeah. and family and everybody. I keep up with everything and everybody on Instagram. And so Let's not miss an opportunity for you to uh, let people know how they can connect with you on Instagram. Yeah. Mm. How do they sure. find you? Uh, uh, Callie, C-A-L-I-E, Patrick underscore. Um, that's my main platform for Instagram. I don't really have any other social platform. Um, so... All right. Perfect. All right, Rob. Little different generation. If you had to delete all but three apps, what would the three apps be that you would keep? Crap. You, uh, I text all the time. I, I'm rarely on the phone. Um, so obviously, the yeah, messenger. And then, uh, like Callie said, I don't know, I guess uh, social media now, especially like Facebook and Instagram, it's almost like a live journal mm. of, of your life. Yep. You know what I mean? And cool. other people can kind of pop in and see, you know, your life basically, visually, mm -hmm. obviously. And, uh, through the quotes and, um, you know, comments you guys can add, obviously, what's going on through your head. So it is like a little, like, I don't know, journal you can just sure. with people with. So yep. I guess I'd keep that in Instagram. Although I wish I wasn't on it as much as I was, as, <laughs> yeah. as yeah. much as I like to read and, like, have, I wish I did it more. And, um, 
these apps oh, are yeah. a huge distraction. Like, huge I'm huge distraction. To, yeah, I totally agree. So I was on some like single apps for a while, like Tinder and Bumble and all that. Yeah, and actually, uh, they kicked me off their platforms, and it was the best. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the best thing that happened to me because I was like, obsessed. oh my god, that's great. I got on. Yeah. I got I got to know how you got kicked off Tinder. Had, yeah, I was. Yeah, oh, no. someone was hating on me because honestly, like <laughs> that's I, what it was. Because I went by the book. It, honestly, I like. <laughs> I moved There's out here to Arizona. Well, I went out here to Arizona. I didn't know anybody. So those apps were a great way for me to meet like females. Sure. I never, I don't go to the bar much or clubs and all that. So I'm not one of those guys. So being at home was easy for me to meet yeah. a lot of girls in these apps. And so yeah. I would never do anything to jeopardize that platform because sure. it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, you know, sh- it was my, my fishing pond. So I was like, what the hell would it happen? <laughs> I, I started using Tinder when it first came out and kind of like, and I guess I can see I was like obsessed with that. I was, I was on it a lot. Sure. I had a lot of girls yeah. from it, and hundreds just from that app alone. And then when they kicked me off, I was like, oh, I'm kind of bummed and pissed. But then I had a breather. I mean, you know what? It's probably good. I won't be on my phone as much. I still got Bumble and, and Hinge to be on. Yeah. And then literally four days later, Hinge, uh, Bumble kicked me off. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? It's like literally four days. So like someone, someone, some chick must have been hating uh, and then like reported me. Got loud for you. Because I seriously didn't do, I would never jeopardize that. Yeah. You know, um, right, right. That pipeline, and uh, but whatever. Uh, I'm glad. You know, it was it was better off for it. Sure, you know? yeah. There was there may or may not have been a time in my life, post divorce, of course. Sure. Uh, where you mentioned fish, uh, plenty of fish. That was another app that was around in the day. Yeah, that was the first one I used back in the day, a long time ago, like <laughs> ten years ago. Plenty of fish. Plenty of fish was the. <laughs> that was it. Huh. I think that's where my parents it's met. No. Divorced, my mom found someone else and they met on Plenty of Fish and they are now married. Oh. That is crazy. Hey, another Plenty of Fish <laughs> success story. Hey, it's a success story. Yes, hey, free plug, don't get used to it. <laughs> Wait, is it still around? My friends just got it. Yes. Oh my, my gosh. met that way through that app. Interesting. I think it's great. Mm. I think it's great. All right, let's get on with some content here. So, uh, Kelly, being from Phoenix, uh, you mentioned your parents, blah, blah, blah. Uh, talk Growing up in Phoenix, just talk a little bit about your childhood. If you want to throw your parents in there and how they've influenced you to get to the point you're at, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, when I first started fighting, my parents hated the sport. <laughs> I they, can imagine. They didn't like it. They didn't, I mean, they liked that I did the jujitsu, but when I was striking, they were very susceptible to me, like, staying in the field and they were like "Mm, I don't know about this you know so Mm -hmm. I eventually started paying for my membership as soon as I turned 16 I had two jobs so I could pay for um, my membership and for like my own healthy food because they didn't even want to buy me healthy food so I could do tournaments and stuff Mm. so then at that point I turned 18 and I told my parents I was like hey I think I really want to do this like my dad wasn't in my life most of the time growing up um, but my mom was and I was living with her at the time and I was like I really want to do this like uh, like the real deal, you know? Yeah. And my coach was like, okay, like, let's do it, you know? And my mom was like, well, if you want to do it, like, you're going to have to support yourself. And uh, I ended up moving in with my coach. Me and my mom had a little bit of beef at the time. So I moved in with my coach and uh, lived with him for about, like, eight months, I want to say, or until I turned 19, and then I got my own apartment, lived on my own again for two years. Um, But the majority of my life, like, it was just – pretty um crazy just trying to figure out life by myself especially in the sport too when it was just male dominated there was just so many men in the sport it was hard to find any female training partners Mm. didn't have any female coaches so I was just guided by other men my entire life 
Um, so it was very like it made me very mentally resilient, mm. very like strong and yep. very mm. dependent um, or independent most of my life. Um, but it was very hard to um, balance like life in itself as a female. Sure. You know. Sure. But it does yeah. appear now because I I've, we went to one of your competitions here a couple weeks ago, and it seems like you have a really good relationship with your dad now for sure. Yes, right? for sure. He came back. You guys into are my super life. close. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool. Yeah, That's so awesome. now I, I live with him now. So they saw that I was struggling on my own, and they they mm-hmm. finally started accepting that like I I wanted to fight professionally, and they came to actually I think Ro- I, Rob I think you were there when my mom came in the first time to see me train at the lab oh, and yeah, she was crying right. yeah, yeah, and you yeah. went up to her Aww. you know and we're telling her all these cool things and stuff and yeah. after that my parents really started believing in me so my dad was like hey like we see you're struggling on your own like let me just take you and you know you can move in with us and work part-time and fulfill your dreams of being yeah. a full-time MMA fighter and you can just live with me until then so it's just been a blessing like just coming full circle and having my parents almost like not reparent me, sure, but just accept me as their child again, you yeah. know? Yeah, Super cool. Yeah. Super cool. How about yeah. you, Rob? Anything you want to talk about? Childhood, how it helped you uh, shape who you are today? Um, yeah, I, uh, I started doing martial arts when I was nine years old to uh, kind of, I, I had a rough childhood. I, I had like full blown like Tourette's, like really, really bad. Wow. Like, I, yeah, if I showed you like videos of me as a kid, you wouldn't even believe it was me, you know? As a Crazy. Kid, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I always got jumped in a lot of lot of fights in school and stuff, and I kind of wanted to just learn martial arts as just to like as like self defense. And then, um, um, yeah, as a freshman, my my uh, my high school year, I uh, in, hi- in high school, my freshman teacher, Mister Gunderson, was teaching about uh, meditations and stuff mm. that day. He can he didn't use the word meditation, mm-hmm. but um, he was teaching about the power of the mind. Essentially, was I'm I'm fascinated with now. And I went home that day from school, and I did the meditation that he that he was teaching us basically. And, Basically, it was like a big knot tied in your brain and, and uh, mm. picture that knot representing your mental disorder. And if you can concentrate with enough intention and you can mentally untie that knot, he said most mental disorders will dissipate and never return. And if they do, they're severely diminished. Well, I was getting to the point, I was 14 years old and I didn't really want to go to school anymore. Like I was sick of getting jumped by kids and humiliated and getting my face spit on and shit. And like, it was not a good time for me, you know? And uh, I dished a lot of times. My, my, my parents would drop me off in school and I would even go to my friend's house and play video games or you know just go run around and um so when i did that meditation that day when i opened my eyes it was only about like you know five or ten minutes when i opened my eyes from that my 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 Tourette's was off like a light switch i'm in like the exact form you see me now in really like which is which is a medical impossibility right Tourette's Tourette's is a neurological disorder that affects your musculatory system Mm -hmm. well as we're learning now like epigenetics and all this stuff that's out now about the mind over the body um, it really is. I've been fascinated with the power of the mind ever since, you know, as a freshman in high school. And that's what just makes uh, this sport so beautiful and makes me so fascinated with it is how mental of a sport this is, you know, and, mm. and not just the sport, but life in general. Like, that's what makes Callie a, as badass as she is, is her mindset. Like, she has such a high fight IQ for her age. And, like, that's what I wanted to reiterate to her parents was so they can have real confidence in what she's doing because yep. they love her. They care about her, her her safety and well-being. So, of course, they're going to be concerned about what she's investing her her time and herself into. For sure. I mean, this is these are the most violent sports in the world. It's as violent as it gets. So, you know, just being a loving parent, of course, there's going to be some concern for her. So I just talked to them like I would talk to her, you know, her boyfriend or her brother, someone that generally loves her. And it's real shit, like, 
I'm her coach, but I'm a fan of hers too. I, I see the potential she has, and I see her working in that gym harder than anyone else. And uh, she's really been putting time in. So this girl deserves all of the success that she has coming towards her. And I know she's not going to stop till she's at the top. So yeah, I've only known Callie for maybe I don't know less than a year from reset, of course. Yeah. And I was like, there's something about this girl. You know, I'm like old enough to be her dad, but I'm like, there's something about this girl. I mean, just like this again. I hate to use the word spirit, but the spirit that you have, and you know, just I mean. Like beautiful inside and out type thing, you know. It's like when I found out you were, you know, an, an MMA fighter. I'm like, really? This is so interesting. I got to find out more. So that's how this finally came to be. But, uh, but yeah. Um, so let, let's let's lay the groundwork a little bit more. So you've been part of MMA for how long, Kelly? Yeah, I want to hear the. I want to hear a little bit more of the backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I started when I was 15. Um, I started jujitsu first mm -hmm. at an old gym with a coach. Uh, his name was uh, Ruben Vargas. And um, then I was striking when I turned 17, I want to say, with uh, Brian Stark. And I trained with them for almost three years. Their gym ended up splitting and I had to kind of pick. There was a little rivalry. Riv rivalry between the two so I ended up picking the striking over the jujitsu because naturally I just felt more confident and I felt better at doing the striking than the jujitsu um but I was doing jujitsu for about three years I did no gi primarily I wasn't really training in the gi I did a lot of competitions in Naga at a young age and I was like pretty successful in it um but I was more success uh, more successful in my striking than I was in my jujitsu mm. so I started training um and competing in striking until I was 19 and then I came to the lab as mm. soon as I turned 19. Um, I kind of moved around to different gyms, and I just couldn't find anywhere that it, I really felt like I belonged. I didn't find any coaches that I really feel like I could trust, you know? <laughs> I mean, there was... Excuse me. Okay. I <laughs> 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 got the wrong, wrong, wrong text. Uh, it had nothing to do with no, what no, you said. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I found... Um, some coaches that were, I mean, they're intellectual, and I just didn't feel like I was at home whenever I walked into the gym, you know? And even mm. walking into the lab at first, I was really intimidated. I just knew that there was a lot of um, higher-level strikers and fighters, like, in that gym that were, you know, it was just a really successful gym. And so walking into there and, like, the presence of just so much knowledge and so much, um, what's the word, just, like, so probably like the wisdom yeah. that exists. It yeah. was just overpowering. It was like overwhelming. So it felt very like like I walked in, I was like, Oh shit. Sorry, can we cuss? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I was like, Oh shit, like this is really this is a lot. Like yeah. I'm what am I getting myself into? And then I was like, No, like this is my path. Like, you know, so I started trusting it, started training at their lab more. Um, I think Rob was like the first coach that I really like clicked with. Um, and then I kinda clicked with uh DLT, Mike De La Torre, and uh, those two became my coaches primarily. But uh, Rob and then Adam. Adam um, was one of my other coaches, and he taught the kids' classes. He still teaches the kids' classes to this day. But those three were my coaches for most of my camps and most of my training. And um, I just trained striking for a very long time because I was very um, intimidated to go back into the jiu-jitsu world after not doing it for so long. Um, and recently I just started training 
very consistently in jujitsu. Mm. So now I have multiple awesome coaches overseas. So you're on your way. Yes, for sure. On your way. That is awesome. Yeah. And you know, that's why like I just saw something in you. I mean not only your you know your spirit, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um it's like I want to help this girl out, you know. So that's kinda when the geohogs kinda like, hey, let's let's support her as much yeah, as we possibly you. can. So um again, <clears throat> excited to have you here. Rob, you've got a bit of a resume that is pretty freaking impressive. You mentioned that you were on uh, the Ultimate Fighter season five. And there were some pretty amazing fighters on that season in itself. But since then, you've had some pretty compelling historical uh, bouts from what I've seen. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had the uh, privilege of fighting in some of the, the major promotions, you know, UFC, Bellator, yeah. um, overseas. with The, the biggest stages. Yeah, and, and, uh, and uh, back when I fought in the UFC, like there was no, like the Ultimate Fighter season five was basically the reintroduction of the lightweight uh, um, division before that there was only welterweight and above mm. so like the guy i got a, a black belt from was marco huas he's the first ever uh ufc tournament winner so the first time the ufc oh, wow. did three fights in one night <laughs> he won that i think i believe two times and he actually beat hoist gracie in that in that tournament um so he was known as like the gracie killer down in brazil right there was mm. um there was a gracie's and like gi jiu-jitsu and then um on the other side of the fence was called luta livre which was grappling but with no gi they just shirts and shorts. And um, mm. and so a lot of the Lute Livre fighters, they would also do uh, boxing and like Brazilian Muay Thai, right? So they're better like MMA style fighters. And um, a lot of the, the, the Gi grapplers and the Lute Livre freestyle fighters would get in a lot of brawls and like gym wars. They would go down. They were called uh, gym storms. They would go just like in the Bruce Holy Lee movies shit. where you have all <laughs> your guys crazy. go raid the other gyms and brawl. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, it was hey, gnarly. back to the mafia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gnarly. There was like deaths and shit in these fights. Like it was a serious thing. Like wow. it was like reputations were built. It was, it was a, it was, it was pretty hard. It was hardcore as it gets, you know, and back then the sport of Valley Tudo, there was no rules. It was all, you can head stomp, head butt. Uh, Chuck Liddell fought down there, Vanderly Silva, a lot of the, the big guys here, uh, a lot of names fought growing up down there. So that's what I have tattooed on my knuckles is Valle Tudo. So that oh, okay. it, it's a Portuguese phrase where it means no holds barred, right? Oh, ba- basically it. anything goes. Yeah. And before the sport was called MMA, before it was dubbed mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. the sport was called Valle Tudo, right? It was from huh. Brazil. And um, so I've, I'm the first American black belt from Marco Ruas, who was like basically the king of Brazilian street fighting, you know, Muay Thai, Brazilian Muay Thai and, yeah. and Luke Libre style grappling. And um, a lot of the old school guys all know who he is and everything. So it's cool for me to carry that lineage. And, um, you know, but yeah, a lot of guys um, don't know. If you don't keep up with this sport, if you weren't a fan like five years ago, yeah. there's such a progressive learning curve where you're not going to be able to keep up with all the fighters and yep. stuff on the roster. You know what I mean? Like back when I was with the UFC like 15 years ago, there was only like 50 fighters on the roster. Like yeah. everybody knew everybody. We knew everybody that worked for the company. Now there's over 500 fighters and it's hard to keep track, you know. And, and there's so many different leagues, right? Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. call them leagues. Is that right? Yeah, promotions, leagues. Yeah, like yeah. Bellator yeah. and like all these other ones that are cropping up. So, so uh, are the different, you know, the different leagues or promotions, are they different style fighting? Are um, there are the, are the styles segregating or is it location-based or how to... You know, no, how do you it's get into the same rules? There's like a global, like unified MMA rule setting that everyone goes by. Um, and then overseas, they have a little bit different rule setting. You know, you can like soccer kick people in the head and jump on their head and all that shit, but you can't elbow. So there's hmm. a trade off of like ground strikes and like elbow strikes. So, but you I, said Mu- Muay Thai street is kind of the closest thing to MMA style. Is that 
Is that did I hear that right? Um, as far as like the 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 birth of like where the sport came from. Okay, okay, right? got, it, it was gotcha. more so these Lute Livre guys, which again is, is grappling with no guion, and then they would also obviously know how to box and kickbox, and mm-hmm. the sport started out with those kind of fighters, those Valley Tudo style fighters, basically running the whole sport and owning the sport. Even the Jiu Jitsu guys that started competing. They would get smashed up because these other guys not only knew grappling, but they knew how to punch, kick, knee, elbow, and defend against the submissions. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, but uh, jiu-jitsu didn't get popularized until Hoist Gracie came over here to America where there were no no Lutu Lavery fighters, right? It was all all traditional MMA, Mm -hmm. and so that's what the original UFC was. People only know about the guy who had one boxing glove and... Paul Varlin is a big polar bear and all these Americans fighting this little Brazilian guy in a gi, right? Hoist Gracie. Yep. But they didn't know about the history before that. Wow. Uh, okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sean and Peter know my five-year-old mind. And of course I think about Jack Black and Nacho. Libre. <laughs> 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 Completely off topic. Completely off topic. I actually up. made a video. It was an Instagram <laughs> reel. I have to show you it, but it was really? when we were walking out to my fight and it had um, that uh, um, Nacho Libre song that I Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. I gotta show right, you. Right. It's so funny. Um, but you, so you just had a fight recently, as a matter of fact, though, right? It wasn't that long ago. Um, yeah, about eleven months ago. Now is my last yeah. fight, and uh, actually, that was one of my favorite fights. Actually, it was it was a uh, it was bare knuckle MMA rules. So it was uh, it was a true ode to like the original Ballet Tudo fights. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Was it part of like the? Because I saw this what, a league, I guess BKFC. Um, no, totally so, different. So, yeah, BKFC is just bare knuckle boxing. Okay. Right. So that, oh yeah, no MMA part, right? Yeah, it's yeah. blowing up. And it's yeah. bare knuckle boxing. It's two minute rounds. You go five two minute rounds. Um, I did uh, three five minute rounds. So traditional MMA uh, time, but and uh, bare but knuckle. and bare knuckle. Yeah. So you can gotcha. you can kick, you can knee, you can grapple, which makes the bare knuckle stuff more dangerous yep. because if you get put on your back or up against the fence, a lot of those shots that you have gloves on normally, like normally when it cuts you open or like scuff your skin, yep, with no gloves. Those knuckles are going to open you up easily. You know, the yeah. fight will get stopped a lot sooner. Yeah. So, uh. yeah, like I cracked him with the right hand. That I felt my middle knuckle just, like, literally split his forehead open. Yeah. Like, that's the best. <laughs> that's like, so fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> like split or like. Kelly's like, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I want to bust someone's head open. I thought it was cool. I mean, I felt it like right when it happened. Just blood gushed down. Yeah. It's cool. Like I but don't that know. Guy, was, I was talking to Callie before you even got here. That was the Bennett fight. Is that the one we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I watched that fight yesterday. It's like he was so awkward. Yeah. Like, is that what is that a good word? Awkward? Like Yeah, he, he's super awkward. If you go yeah. back and watch his fights, he's had like over fifty fights. So he's fought in a lot of the the big stages. He's had some fights over in Pride in Japan and he's just super like Unorthodox. Unorthodox. I mean, he used to jump and sit up on the ropes and stuff, like do a lot of weird, crazy shit. Yep. But because of that, he's super dangerous, you know? Yeah. I think he had like three fights in BKFC, the bare knuckle boxing. Okay. He, he did well. He did good over there. Yeah. And because of his like weird, awkward timing and he's still a super fast twitch athletic guy, you got to respect him, you know? Like yeah. I, I didn't want to go down and lose to that guy because, yeah. you know, I was expecting to win that fight. But I, yeah. just, I got a first round stoppage and yeah. went out there and performed, so... Yep, yep, super cool. cool. So, Kelly, let me ask you. I mean, you're also really involved with, like, the youth when it comes to this and, you know, bring, uh, mentoring them and that type thing. Um, mentoring is a big uh, a big topic or a big thing we talk about every week. Yeah, pretty much every week for the most part, no matter who we're talking to, yeah, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, 
at that, at that age, when they're really young like that, I mean, they're just doing it for the exercise probably, right? And I know there's a lot to be learned um, being a part of, you know, the lab and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, first of all, you know, being a professional MMA fighter, it's definitely not for everybody, right? I mean, you have to have a certain mental and physical makeup for that to happen. Um, so talk about that a little bit and the importance of getting, you know, uh, these kids involved. So I think that starting them off at a young age is, like, super important. I mean, especially for their nervous system. Like, kids are very, like, um, very they're very stimulated to their environment, right? So they really need an emotional and a physical outlet, like, at all times, you know, so that they can release the energy that is in their nervous system. And I mm. think the best way to do that is physical exercise. And then also teaching them new skills as far as like how to defend themselves, how to keep themselves safe. Um, and then they're learning something that they love to do. Like what kid doesn't want to punch and kick things for fun. You know for what sure. I mean? So, um, and I think my favorite thing about coaching um, and, and mentoring the uh, kids at the lab is especially like the girls. I think the girls is like the biggest thing. We have a little girl gang, a little girl group that we keep at the lab. <laughs> and uh, most of them are teenagers. And so they have a lot of like drama. They'll come to me about, you know, their daily life and routine and just the things that they deal with emotionally and physically. And I help them through. And like I'm a mentor, um, especially for one of the little girls um, that we have there too. But uh, teaching them self-defense and how to regulate their nervous system and also just how to like protect themselves around um, dangerous people and, 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 mm. you know, the things that unfortunately some of us women are accustomed to in the society that we live in, you know, as far as being threatened by different people and, you know, just like different circumstances that happen. So I think going over that with them is super important for me. It also makes me feel like I'm healing a part of myself, um, from a younger age too. Um, just being able to heal generations I am so excited to talk about Carlson Software. Founded in 1983, Carlson Software specializes in CAD design software, field data collection, and machine control products for the land surveying, civil engineering, construction, and mining industries worldwide, providing one source technology solutions from data collection to design to construction. Oh, yeah. Carlson Software's renowned dedication to customer service is unique in the industry. Their software suite is designed to complement land surveying operations and provides a variety of survey features to process data from surface modeling to least squares network adjustment. Users work seamlessly between the office and the field by utilizing company-wide design styles for ease of use and efficiency. And I can say I have personally been using Carlson since 1991. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 1991? Yes. How is that possible? Oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, that's for sure. But back in 1991, when I was introduced to Carlson, it was very apparent to me that their software products simply think like a surveyor. It's so easy to use. Their customer service is second to none. And uh, I actually went to Maysville, Kentucky for some training and played golf with Bruce and, uh, and his brother. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Nicest human beings on the planet. Um, highly recommend Carlson. To find out more, simply go to carlsonsw.com. Be sure to let them know the Geoholic sent you. Yeah, so you're, I mean. That's amazing, actually. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, kudos to, to Callie here. Oh, my for, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. On many levels. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're in a really unique position when you're able to talk to these, you know, girls in particular, um, to, to be a, a great mentor. You know, because yeah. I couldn't imagine being a girl 
at that age, let alone any age at this point, living in this crazy ass world. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's amazing. Peter, you have anything to add? Yeah, Kelly, I was just wondering, um, you know, you said that you didn't really have that coming through. And I've noticed that even with your fights, um, there's not a lot of women. I mean, I think it's get, there's more, but still, ha- how does that affect you in, in how you've come up? Because I've kind of been in the same position of not having men, uh, women around in, in my career because I'm in the male sort of industry as well, like you are with your fighting. Yeah. Um, how does that affect you? I think like, that um, from such a young age when I started and there was no women, it was really hard to look up to um, – the men in the sport because it was almost like I had so many different emotional and physical needs Mm -hmm. as far as like dietary and as far as the things that I go through, like the setbacks that um, are handled a lot differently from a male's perspective rather than a female's perspective. I mean, we have a lot more hormones, you know, so when that gets thrown off, there's a, a hormonal like imbalance almost. And it really requires you to shift your own perspective and your own narrative to more of a male perspective rather than a female, like, perspective, I guess. Not to be very, like, sexist or anything, but, I mean, us girls can, you know, be a lot more emotional than a lot of the guys. So um, it almost flips a different switch um, for the things that we go through in life. But um, it was definitely hard, like, growing up and just not having, like, a female to kind of be there and be like, oh, yeah, you're doing all the right things and have a female coach to kind of, like, nurture you and help you. But, honestly, that's really not what the sport is. The sport is not any type of nurturement. You're not going to have a cheerleader by your side telling you, like, hey, good job, unless you're mean, you're a kid's coach. You know what I mean? But the sport is so gruesome. Like, it's as real as it gets, as real as it gets, you know. So there is no – high fives and pat you on the back and wipe your tears. It's you get up and you go do what you got to do. Yeah. You know? mm. Well, I think that kind of leads into what you were saying earlier about having Instagram and um, putting your thoughts down. And, and uh, you know, because I've been following you and we talk and all of that kind of stuff and there's our ups and downs and, you know, you go through certain things and, and like it must be pretty tough. Phys- well, it is physically but, but mentally you sort of see what you have to go through to be strong mentally as well. Definitely. I mean, I can definitely use my own emotions to um, empower me through different workouts and the different things that I do too. Um, And intellectually, I use my emotions to be vulnerable with the things that I feel. And I think that's what makes this experience so much more empowering and so much more, um, uh, what's the word? So much more, like, memorable um, and significant because, like, having those emotions to correlate my experiences with makes it so much more, like, powerful for mm. me, I feel like, in a sense. Um, so I, I definitely like to write a lot, too, about my emo- own emotions. Like, sometimes I like to write poems or um, just different, like, metaphor. I'll use different metaphors for fighting because it's it's an art and it's it's so real it's it, there's so many emotions that are involved in fighting so being vulnerable with them in writing and in in social media is definitely a good outlet um to still stay mentally resilient and focused but um also to to get your needs as far as like the emotional needs yeah. and stuff so well i think that that mental resilience um must be pretty 
big because I know like Rob was just saying before about knowing the mental side and being able to control it and stuff like that. So it's obviously not just a physical thing that you do when you're in your MMA, your jiu-jitsu or your Muay Thai or whatever whatever you're doing. Yeah, it's definitely physical and mental. I mean, if you think about working out, like the hardest part to doing it is to, is the initiation of it, is getting up and and going to do it and actually doing it because when you're in the moment you're already doing it so it's just like you kind of power through but I think Mm -hmm. getting up and going to the gym getting up and going to the fight getting up and walking to the ring or putting on your gloves that is the hardest part of the Mm. sport is just starting just just Mm. starting you know um that's consistent in a lot of things in life really well I I gotta I gotta ask a question specific to that just to get into detail okay so yes you know, you, you train, you practice, you do all the things. You're ready to go. Mm-hmm. At what you know, I'm. A, I'm uh, I told you before, I'm an engineer, so I think about th- in terms of graphs. And at what point is your anxiety about what's going to happen the highest? Is that right before the bell rings? Is that like when you're you know getting taped up or whatever? You know, is it an hour before? Is it when you're walking down? Like, when are you? When does it? Because like, like you said, it's like getting ready for it. And then when you're in it, you're in it. Like, when does that, is it a, is it a climax or are you most nervous the day before? And then everything is surreal. Like I, I'm just, I, I got to know how yeah. it is to. Yeah. So, um, the more I've prepared and the more that I have fought, I feel like the less nervous I get, but on fight day specifically, I usually get the nervousness and like the anxiety right before I fight, like the waiting game we call it the waiting game the waiting game but like right like when you're waiting for hours before you're supposed to fight that's when most of the nerves start to kick in because uh, your mind is racing you're just thinking about oh what if this what if that what if she throws this punch or what is this going to feel like you know so you get so much anxiety and as soon as i hear okay let's go it's gone Okay. Mm, all right. Interesting. All right. That's really clear. funny that you say that because it, I'm exactly the same when I have to get up and speak in front of people. Yeah. That's the thing you can but apply. As soon as, yeah. You know, those same lessons to so many things in life. Uh, I, I want to get, I want to get yeah. Rob's perspective. So the, the, the question I asked for, uh, I mentioned to Callie that I'm an engineer. So I think about things in graphs and I think about like the time and the, the nervous or the, the anxiousness before a fight. Right. And you know, the, you know, you, you start, you've been training and everything, but then at a certain point, it's, you know, the day before, the four hours before, the five minutes before. When is it the highest, and when do you hit that, okay, I'm, like Callie said, once once we go, we're going, I'm in it. Like, when is the cold, when, when are you most anxious before a fight? You know what? It's, uh, it's an interesting topic. Um, and I, I know we different. want to get more into the, the, the especially the, the mental side of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, again, we're talking about psychology here, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we know more about them the cosmos than we do about the human mind. Right. And so, uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think this answer is different for everybody you ask. Um, um, for me personally, I have a little like, like peaks uh, of it. Um, I guess during, you know, uh, fight week or, um, I guess, uh, but the long, I've been in it for like 20 years, so I've got a, a lot, lot of good practice controlling this mindset and transmuting these thoughts. So uh. I, I, I look at doubt. I look at it as if you doubt yourself, what if they do this? Or what if any kind of what if, fill mm. in the blank, is fear. That is fear showing its ugly face <laughs> in the form of you doubting yourself, Right. And, and even biblically, it's, it's written that, that God, 
doesn't give you a spirit of fear. Well, that that concept is written in many different um, on cultures and, and literature throughout, you know, the world is, you know, and so we can look at it from fear and even doubting yourself is turning your back on who you are and, and turning your back on, on God almost essentially, right? And I, I, love, I love a quote I heard that like an athlete's greatest um, thank you for their gifts is to go out there and use their gifts. For a runner to go out there and run is the best way they can tell God, thank you for this gift, mm. right? For a fighter or a martial artist to go out there and put forth their best selves. That's the greatest thank you one can give to the creator, to God, right, to the universe. Thank you for my gifts. I'm going to go out there and go apply them. Hmm. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. And so it is an honor. It is a privilege that we get to be out there and um, and even feel these feelings. Like I said, there's something special when the human being is put in a state of fight or flight. And in no other sport is the human being put in a state of fight or flight other than, than mixed martial arts. You know, especially the the bare, the bare knuckle stuff, and um, it's it's a special element there that you can only access in our sport. As violent as our sports are, I say all the time they are as spiritual as they get. Mm. You know what I mean? You don't see human heart and human will put on a pedestal too much in team sports. Oh yeah, right. All these guys can go out and party and drink the night before and still get away with playing a good game and stuff because they got their team to fall back on, but. The individuals in there um, by him or herself in, in our sport, you know, once once that once that cage door is closed, and um, there is an upgrade that takes place when when the human being chooses fight instead of flight. You know what I mean? And in oh, our, yeah. our sport, the human will and the human heart is put on the pedestal for us to appreciate. You know, as fans. So, um, is it almost like it's almost like a drug? Yeah, it is. To it's a certain addicting. degree, it right? is addicting. Yeah, it's like I can't. It's not for everybody. It's not for me. But I am so, like, just amazed. Every time, I like, every UFC pay-per-view I get, just because I, I watch it, and I'm just so amazed by the, the mental capacity that these fighters have to have to get into a cage, shut the door, mm-hmm. mano a mano, it's yeah. you or me. Yeah. And, when know, it's like, and what, I'm hear, what I'm hearing you say is that it, the... What you have to overcome of all that doubt and all those things that, you know, we deal with every single day, that cage door closes. It's got to be gone. It has got to be gone, and you're so in it that, I mean, that's when the amazing things happen, and you're in this this spiritual area that it's, it is addicting, and you're connecting I don't, I don't know, like, uh, Rob, you probably know better, like, the it's words. higher level stuff. Yeah, it's like very the, few the, people the, experience. The, the, the synapses that are connecting are things that we don't experience on a day-to-day basis, and very few people do. Yes. And Unless you go to Chile and uh, go on the ayahuasca trip, <laughs> oh. which I'm in for. If anybody wants to go, count me in. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Geoholics <laughs> do ayahuasca. Um, <laughs> no, it's called... It's called... To, it's called Pay me to come over. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Peter's in. Uh, we'll go ahead, Rob. No, it's called flow state, right? That's what we're discussing. Mm. Essentially, is flow state. And I know it has right, a name. It's a very covered. And there's a book I I read called um, "The Rise of the Superman," and it, it talks about this. The highlight, the meat of the book, is about flow state and what takes place, and and, and these athletes' brains when they access flow state, right? Um, like I said some to the Benson Henderson, our team captain today, he's fighting, uh, he had his last sparring session today. He's fighting for the Bellator lightweight world title 
um, against uh, Khabib's cousin, right? And um, and I said, him, I, t- I told him walking out of the the locker room today, I'm like, man, you look, you're ready. Let's go get that thing. I'm like, you're going to be the most alive you'll ever have been out there that night. Mm. See, and that is insane, truth. and especially like for you, you, you said, you know. Uh, 20 years in this and i'm guessing that every fight and every bigger fight is like you said the most the the most alive you're going to be at that point right yes and it truly is i mean unless you're in there doing it it's it's, it's the most alive you'll ever be you know and, and and um i don't have any friends that 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 skydive or do that that squirrel fucking suit oh, yeah. but, 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 <laughs> yeah. but i'll guarantee you if you talk to them mm. I bet they'll say the same thing. They're, they're the most alive they'll ever be out there in those few moments of fight or flight. You know, mm-hmm. they're riding that line of of being here and, and, and not being here. And sure, again, it's a it's a it's a it's like an addiction we chase as is being mortal humans here. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I love it, dude. I love that. And, and obviously, martial arts speaks for itself. There's a reason why our sport is the fastest growing sport and has been for over a decade now. Oh yeah, and that why people Easily. are drawn to it and love martial arts, even for guys that don't do it themselves. Every boy can relate to being a, a warrior or a soldier mm-hmm. or a gladiator. You know, there's a reason why movies like Braveheart and Gladiator that, that t- they pull on our heartstrings. You know One of the best movies ever. Yeah, gladiator. I mean, I just, but, oh, fuck, for sure. But no it's just it. the so, idea that you're watching somebody like it, it's inspiring. It, oh it's like, God, beyond inspiring. I'm okay, just like, all the bullshit that I had to do today, <laughs> this guy. Oh. No big deal. Shut the cage. Beat the shit out of, or get the beat the shit beat out of, and like yeah. it, it. Me, it, it perspective. It, it is a it perspective. Person on a perspective. That movie Gladiator you sent Chuck on my head to. I don't think I've showed you guys it, but you might recognize. Oh it. no! <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. You recognize it? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, anytime that movie's on, I stop what I'm doing, I watch it. I don't care what part of the movie it's in, it's, I watch it. Okay, yeah. so I got to ask, you talk about this, is there a time after the cage closes, you're in the fight where that doubt starts to come back? You can't, there's no way. I, I, I know. If, I, if I, it creeps in, you're done. But I know, but does it happen? How do you... And it's like I, when I come to the office every day and I got to sit in an office with you. It's like if that little bit of doubt creeps in, I'm done. Not even not even going to pull off the exit, just circle right back around and yes. go home, right? I got to know... That's why he doesn't, that's why he doesn't go anymore, Sean. Yeah, yeah, that's why I don't see him anymore. And, and, but you can't tell me that it, it is never there. And I'm, I'm assuming it's one of those things that you either push Ooh. completely out or, I mean, is it creeping in your push? Am I, Shelly, am I out of line for asking? Like, that's a great question. How do you deal with doubt? Um, so I think the biggest thing going into, like, fight camps whenever I'm dealing with doubt specifically is is drilling, like muscle repetition. The more muscle repetition I have for a specific exercise or something that, and, and, and mental repetition too, like mental reps as far as visualizing and sitting there and meditating and thinking about this thing over and over and over and knowing exactly what I want to do, knowing, knowing the things that I feel confident in and my strengths and utilizing that to overcome and conquer my doubts um, and kind of hush them down essentially. But the more that I rep and build reps mentally and physically, the more confident that I feel. So the less doubt I feel Mm. like I have during training. Um, and the more that I can implement that in the fight as well, because I can see it, I can feel it. I know what it sounds like. I mean, it's not just like hitting the pad over and over. It's like, okay, I know exactly where my opponent's face is. I know what she's going to be feeling. I know what it feels like to hit the pad. And I know what it feels like when I hit her face, like with a certain thing, you know, 
And what does my environment sound like? There's people cheering. What is, what do things look like? Often I draw and I write a lot. So I use that as like a visual um, practice for me specifically when I'm training for my fights. So instead of like, cause sometimes I have a hard time meditating because of all the anxiety. Like sometimes it does help, but drawing and writing for me relieves a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the doubt. Cause I can visually see it. I can feel it in the moment and then writing about it almost like a, like a summary or an annotation behind it, like also clears that anxiety and the doubt too. But going off of your question, like in the middle of a fight, I have experienced like some kind of anxiety and doubt, like in the middle of a fight too, when I mm. know that I'm kind of down on points and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, shit, like I sure. got to get back up. You know, I got to start doing better. I got to start being more aggressive. I got to start being more defensive, you know, stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing is like having, having coaches and people in your corner and hearing your supporters, like your family and your friends there, that boost some kind of adrenaline that I don't even know I just I like when I hear my name and where I hear people and they can see me visually that I'm kind of like anxious or I have a little bit of doubt that just kicks me further does up that drown out uh. drown it out yeah interesting and then I think too like redirecting my own mind when I'm in the corner I'm like okay what did I do good that round let's Ooh. focus on that let's focus on my strengths let's go back to what I was visualizing what I was practicing so that I'm not thinking about the doubts and the negative things because when you go back in your corner and your coaches I, I had coaches who used to slap me in the face in my corner and be like what are you doing you're stupid like you know and it just would like I would lose fights like that because it just wasn't like that's supportive. reinforcing That's supportive. Yeah, yeah it was just horrible it was just like okay i gotta get back out there and try not to get my ass kicked but when i go back into my corner you know and i'm just like okay my coaches are capitalizing on what i did right okay your opponent is doing this because they can visually see you know yeah. and they also have so much more experience than i do so they they see things that i may not see and they're like okay do that thing and the more you listen to them the more you listen to the people around you, like mm. that also builds your confidence and kind of relieves a little bit of that doubt and anxiety. So, Yeah, something tells me going out there and trying not to get your ass kicked is not the best motivation <laughs> no, going into a fight. And I'm guessing it's not what Rob's telling himself <laughs> yeah. before he's walking into to, to the cage. So let me ask you this, yeah. Rob. I mean, there, you tell me, there's, there's no perfect fighter, right? Right. Okay. So when you go into a fight, you know that there is a weakness. Your opponent has a weakness. You have a weakness, right? Talk about that. Like, how do you how do you expose that person's weakness, and how do you prevent them from exposing your weakness? Um, so game plan stuff and training for the fight. You know, for during fight camp, that's where you you know check all those those boxes. You know, um, is like style wise, is he more of a grappler? So I want to work on anti grappling and striking. I got to manage my range. So all those physical attributes you, you kind of cover. You know, during fight camp and like Callie said, it's physical repetition. And through repetition is what gives the athlete confidence, mm. true confidence. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys in the sport, they have a false confidence. And um, when you cut corners in camp and you skip out on training sessions and, you know, you've, you've decided not to go to the gym when you know you could have, those are all the doubts that come back in your head when you're <laughs> walking out there to the cage are all those thoughts. Yep. Mm. You know, and um, like Callie said, you have to kind of hush those thoughts and um, – I like the word transmute because transmute is you take what's dark and you transmute it into something light. Mm. Transmute a negative into a positive. So if you're doubting yourself, mm. that's a negative thought. You must transmute that into a positive thought. It's not what if my opponent can do to me. It's 
what I'm going to do to them. And your focus has to be 100% on that, right? If you happen to lose the fight or if they land a jab or if they land a takedown, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Mm. Let's not invest any emotional and physical energy into those thoughts before it happens. Fucking love that. You know what I mean? Because yes, it's, 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 you're, you're disempowering yourself. You're giving that Mm. power to your opponent Mm. instead of focusing on your potentials and, and and what positive potentials there are. And there's great, tremendous power that lies within that. I read the book power of now by Eckhart Tolle multiple, I think four times. And I recommend this book to everybody. And then this book, he talks about the power of right now. And that right now means when you're backstage. That right now means when you're walking to the ring. That right, that right now means when they're announcing your name. That right now means when they ring that first bell and it's fight time. You have to be present in every single moment. And there's nothing more present than when you are focusing on yourself and um, having a feeling of gratitude, of being present in gratitude for the healthy camp, fight camp that you had, and gratitude that there's no injuries gratitude that we got to wake up this morning and our feet got to hit the floor and we get to be here we get to do this we get to go out and perform for our family and friends and put our best physical and mental and spiritual self forward for the next three to five minute rounds you know what i mean and um it's a beautiful thing and that's why this this sport i've always heard oh it's more mental than it is physical or you know it's 90 percent mental and 10 percent physical and it's not you know i'm 41 now i'm two decades plus into the sport and I'm really starting to grasp the meaning of what this means, how mental this sport is and so not ha- just this sport, but all sports. Oh, all sports. So how, how would you categorize that? Like what part is mental? Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's yeah. different when you're, you know, Callie's age versus your age. I have no idea. What, like, how, what's your perspective on that? Mental versus physical. I feel like for the majority of my journey, it's been mental, like physically, but you have you know, to have certain physical abilities. Yes, for sure. Like, you have yeah. to develop yourself physically just as much as you do mentally. Like, you have to level up as a human in both areas. You know, like, you have to start doing your strength training, your conditioning, your cardio. You have to build the muscle repetition. Um, but I think the biggest part of all of that, like, getting yourself to do it, the the initiation mentally and then the perseverance and the consistency, mm. that's all mental, too. Mm. You know, like. So which one's harder? Mental. Development. I'm, I mean, mental. I'm guessing. I mean, I say that. I would say mental. Yeah, knowing the mental, answer, but mental is the hardest. Uh, it's the hardest art to, to conquer. I mean, physical. We just get out there and do what we're told. We strap on gloves. We go punch people in the face. We yeah. get on the treadmill. We go sprint. We go lift these weights. It's easy to be, to be a machine and just go do what you're told, you know. Mm. But yeah. the mental art of it all and the mental, the mental conquering of this is is such a personal journey for everybody and every athlete every fighter is going through their own mental struggles and you know um that's what i love about these sports is when we're when when we're in there in those rooms and on the mat it's like all that stuff just gets left at the door with your shoes and your ego you know you really Mm. truly leave everything in the entrance and you step on that mat and you're just present and you're just there focusing on your development of yourself and um that's why i say man it's as spiritual as it gets these sports you know and first obviously you got to have the skill and the hard work to even be in the conversation of yeah. is it more mental or physical? Because, sure. you know, obviously, we got once you get to a, a certain echelon, mm-hmm. everyone's talented. Everyone's done the hard work. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So now what sets se- separates the greats from, from the journeyman? And it's truly the mental aspect of it all. 
Wow. Can I just ask a question? Um, you're talking about, you know, preparing for your camps, uh, like preparing at camp before you have um, your fight and stuff. And Kelly was talking about the the muscle memory and all that sort of stuff and different and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. So does every camp different for the fighter that you're going to fight that you try and get that muscle memory on certain moves and stuff for that particular play, uh, player, fighter? So... Uh, for my camp specifically, I mean, everybody's kind of different, um, as Rob said, but for my camp specifically, I try to focus on my own training rather mm. than my opponent. I try not to think about my opponent. I try not to, like, look her up, look up anything about her. I mean, obviously, sometimes it's good to know these things, but I could care less about who I'm standing across the ring or the cage from. Like, it doesn't matter at that point. It matters about my investment and what I've put in and mentally how I feel and physically how I feel. Like, this is my camp. This is my fight. And no one's taking it from me. And that's kind of the attitude and the mindset that you have to have going into a fight. Because if the more that you start to think about the other person and your opponent, that doubt starts to creep in even more. Because then you're thinking more about what they're doing rather than what you are doing. You're not staying present at that point. You're just thinking in an alternate reality that's probably not even real. It's not even existing at that point. So you really just have to focus on your own training, your own development. And that's where the confidence comes from. So personally, that's that's how I train for my fights. How do you like to be at the level, Rob, that you that you're at, that you've been? <clears throat> and Callie, I mean, you're headed that way as well. You are in order to be amazing at this this sport. You're almost separating yourself from society. Oh yeah, in a way. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, does we're that make sense? Am I, oh, for sure. Yeah. Less than one percent of our, of our species will ever get to experience what um, you know me and Callie have experienced in this exactly. life, and that's what it makes it so beautiful. You know what I mean? And uh, like Callie's going to be a world champion, without a doubt. And I've been saying that from the jump when I when I first met her. Like you see in their training and sparring with these guys, and just her mind, her her fight IQ is is beyond her years yeah you know, uh you mentioned that earlier can i think it's a good time to can you expand on what a fight iq is yeah, and yeah, how did callie get i mean maybe it's just her you know awesomeness but how did she get a higher fight iq than what you would expect yeah so fight iq can be summed up as just uh understanding biomechanics right it's that, that's all fighting is it's body language it's body mechanics how does the human being move and then we add in range and, and you know um you know, depth and all that stuff. And, and, and this only gets, you only get your fight IQ uh, more intelligent by, by repetition, right? That's what the upgrades so it, happen. So it's not something that you, it, that's instinctual. It's the more repetition and the more practice, it's muscle memory based or it's, it, yeah. is there some instinctual part of it? For sure. A lot of it's instinctual. You see a lot of these guys that don't really have the most skill, but they have, they have instincts like guys like even Diego Sanchez who had like the longest run in the UFC technically wise he wasn't the best technical fighter didn't have the best skill but his 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 belief in himself and his natural instincts carried him through the longest you know career that they've ever had in the UFC and sure and so that's one example of it of how uh, uh, a strong-willed fighter a high fighter IQ will ki- will sometimes make up for the lack of skill I think that's interesting you say that because I remember a um a, a soccer player from Australia football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, um, was the same, that he didn't get chosen 
but because he didn't have the best skill, but he just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And he ended up being one of the, the best players in the English league and he's now a massive uh, a coach and all that kind of stuff. But it's because he just had that instinct of um, knowing what he needed to do, not necessarily be the best at it. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. That's mm. a true celebration of the human being and how powerful mm. our mind is. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, that's when sports, uh, that's why sports is so amazing. And it truly is a celebration of humanity. You know what I mean? And sports truly cross all lines you know what i mean i mean uh, even during even during even during the you know olympics they had in germany it was wild to see that they held it out there you know w- w- with adolf hitler and shit running that stuff like and crazy, they're still doing it right crazy, yeah. crazy you know what i mean like sports truly crosses all boundaries it's the one thing where all humans despite their differences can come together and celebrate the human being i love it man i love it and martial arts has always been a a cross-cultural sport. It's a global sport, one that can be pre- appreciated from every corner of the world. Uh, so I want to touch on that, but I want to ask Kelly real quick, how do you think you got a higher fighter IQ than, you know, than would be expected? Like, how did you get to this point? I think mastery of self. Like, mastering my own emotions. Like, I've had my nervous system broken down so many times. Like, I've been put in fight or flight. I've been put in freeze. I've been processing my emotions for a very, very, very Uh, long time. Um, the the second thing you said you said yes. you've been put in freeze freeze yeah can 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 you tell uh, the the uneducated here uh, yeah so um, everybody has a different response according to like what what they're triggered like their nervous system mm. um, uh, is essentially so I go into three different types like freeze fight or flight um, the biggest one that I struggled with um regulating and kind of like overcoming was the freeze because uh for the majority of like my fight career I would say in striking especially I would freeze I would just stand there and just take a bunch of punches and like hold my fists up and just hope Ah. to god that it wasn't going to be as bad as I thought wait for the bell and you know take it till it happens exactly but When I started reprogramming my nervous system to respond in a different way while I was already triggered, that's when I started developing new skills and new um, resources that I could use um, to conquer that freeze. And then I would move into um, a fight or a flight. And so if I moved into a flight, that's when I had to start reprogramming my nervous system again to respond accordingly to the martial art in itself. So then I would go into a fight. And so now that I've, and now I can identify those patterns and those behaviors um, that are triggered when I, when my nervous system is in a fight or flight. And I think that has been huge for my journey as far as my fight IQ, because I can establish when, um, I can kind of just establish when I need to go, like when it's on. And when it's off, you know, and I think when you have a clear mind, fighting is so much more um, intellectual. Mm. Like you can be so much smarter with your own fight IQ when you are clear minded and clear headed, because if you're thinking about all your emotions at once and you're in a triggered response, you're not going to captivate on your potential in the martial art itself. And you're not going to develop and learn any new skills. Um, So 
being calm and clear headed and being in control of my own emotions and my own thoughts has helped me a lot, like in fighting and in martial arts for sure. So, so I got to ask during the fight, how much is it where you're just, uh, I don't want to say turning off the switch and being instinctual versus what you were just talking about. Like how, how, how in the moment are you versus, uh, just going with training and all the, you know, like I, I got it. Like, is it, you have to adjust. So constantly. yeah, yeah. You're adjusting, but is it, are you aware of what you're adjusting or is it something that you just do for three minutes? Then you sit back and reset and come up with a different plan. Like I, I, I gotta, I gotta think that you're not just, Oh, let me think about this. And maybe I should, I got, you don't have time. You don't have time, right? It's got, it's that fast. Yeah. I think all the, the repetitions train your, your subconscious, like Callie's saying, it trains your nervous mm. system. Ah. So your subconscious, your nervous system is what re is what reacts out there. You know what I mean? And, and, and through years and years of training and, and tens of thousands of reps, you're going to have a toolbox of all these different weapons that your subconscious is going to be able to draw from in that moment. You know what I mean? Because yeah. whether they take wow. a step forward, step back, step left, or step right, you're right, the whole, and it changes. And so your, your mind has to stay ahead of that, you know. And but you're not being a analytical in that point. You're just pulling from the, you're reacting. the, 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 the yes. base yes. training the muscle experience. Yes. That, that, okay, he does that. Memory. I know this. And it, and you just pull from that library your of. Your eyes, yeah. Your eyes have seen that pattern and that movement yeah. so many times. And you've reacted a reaction to that movement so many times. And it's literally. It's almost it's like, like talking. It's like talking. It's just like natural. It becomes natural at that point because you've repped it so many so, times. Okay, so 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 like that. Maybe God, that's where he's going. So are you looking ahead that much? Like you know, mm. all right, so yeah. say, say you're reading. Like when you're talking, when you're reading, you're actually seeing ahead a little bit. So you know your well, words you're and, your, the and fight your, in your like, head, right? Are 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 you predicting? And and you already know the. Are you purely reaction, or are you getting ahead of and and? So yes. really planning yeah. on it. I think it's instinct too because you can feel when a threat is coming. When mm. you have the eyes for fighting like that and when you have mm. training partners and coaches who do implement the many alternative um, patterns and things that happen when you're in a fight, you can instinctually start to start to feel and know when to throw certain strikes, when to do certain things, when to counter by almost instinct after drilling them so many times, you learn which fit. It's like a puzzle piece. Mm. Yeah, that's what that's what footwork solves. You know, footwork will dictate where the engagements are going to be in the fight. You know what I mean? So if Ooh. my uh, if my opponent's getting jumping, I can see how they're looking looking to throw. I might just kick their leg just to kind of you know stifle their attack, or I could just take a step back and then I just broke away from their you know um, their firing range. So mm -hmm. and that that is. It's moment by moment, like you said, in the fight. So one and that the athletes really have to stay on top of that. And that's why footwork matters like further out, right? The closer you get to the fighter, we can almost plan our feet and just trade exchanges. So footwork is implemented way before the fighters even get to the pocket, it's called, right? Where both of us can exchange. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and, and MMA, there's a lot more footwork because our ring, the cage, is a lot bigger than a traditional boxing and Muay Thai mm. Muay Thai ring and mm. the fighters tend to move around a lot more and so MMA striking there's a lot more ground to cover you got normally guys are backing up and you got to be careful ready for them to shoot under your punches that you know to, to shoot on you and try to take you down so there's a lot more um you know cerebral footwork and visual stuff you gotta play off of in, in MMA 
I love the folks at Bad Elf. Bad Elf GNS receivers deliver affordable accuracy through easy-to-use hardware supported by continuously evolving firmware, apps, and cloud services. Founded in 2010, Bad Elf created the first made-for-iOS external GPS accessory and now enables high-performance location services for all mobile platforms. Man, that's amazing. Did you also know that all of your new GNSS receivers can be accurate, affordable, and flexible? The Bad Elf Flex offers a trailblazing survey-grade receiver that delivers consistent accuracy at a highly affordable price. I'm going to stress affordable price. Yeah. You got to check it out. Many people think companies go into business to create products and services, but at Bad Elf, they strive to create loyal customers. To find out more, simply go to badelf.com and let them know that Geoholic sent you for the baddest discounts available. What's it like to lose? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, losing, losing in MMA can happen Please. in a heartbeat. You can get you know, caught and you're done. Or it could happen, it could be a grind, but you know you're losing. What happens to the mind in that situation? Uh, my, my biggest takeaway from the losses and my, my biggest thing I tell these guys is the biggest regret you'll have is, is it, isn't so much losing, but not, not leaving everything in the cage not being able to display yeah. all your hard work that you put in the last few months getting ready for that. If I got to go out there and, sh and put on a bar burner of a fight and got to put everything, all my effort and left everything, left my whole self in that cage, I can, I can accept a loss. That guy was a better man than me. He made better choices out there in that 15 minutes than I did. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I, so, so uh, do, you, uh, do you learn from that? I mean, like what you, even though you've put everything into the fight, there's, and they're, they're the better fighter on that day, you must pick things up from it that you would then grow on. And, for and sure, for sure. You yeah. kind of go, oh, what did, what did I waste some time thinking about this and thinking about that. And, mm. um, yeah, there's there's a, always a learning experience, right? I like that quote. There, there are no losses, just learning experiences. Uh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's truly what this game is about. And So so on that, on that same thing, is it <clears> – <throat> Do you think you lose more physically or mentally? Is it always you lost mentally? Yeah. Is it mm. is there never a physical aspect or is there where you had it 100% physically into it and the guy just or or, or girl whoever that physically overpowered you? Is it or mentally overpowered? Or, or you? mentally yeah. overpowered That's you? That's a great question. Um yeah, I've never I, I've I've never experienced like a, I've never got a full on like ass whooping thrashing. I've always, I've lost a lot of decision fights that were super, super close mm. and fights that I should have won. Um, points, sh fights that I, I, I only lost because I wasn't aggressive enough. Mm. I gave them too much credit. I played the what if game way too much. And again, I gave my opponent more power than I should have instead of retaining that power for myself. You know, that's one thing that Jared Kennedy does so great. And I love watching him perform because he goes out there and he just owns that stage. He owns that arena, even if he's fighting in the backyard uh, of of the country of his opponent. He just he owns it out there, and uh, there's something so how? powerful. Like how? Like um like how? I was I was with him when we were out in um in uh, Copenhagen when he fought uh, Jack Hermanson, and Jack Hermanson was like the hero of you know the Netherlands out there, and he was supposed to replace uh, Stefan Shrove, who just retired from the UFC. So Jack Hermanson was supposed mm -hmm. to be the next like Norwegian fighter, and. Uh, just being in, in in Jared's corner and hearing that uh, that crowd roar, and just I mean, you can feel the vibrations mm. of the roars in that in that arena. And uh, when we walked out with Jared, they're all just boo, boo, sending him negative energy. And he just stood out there in the center of the arena and he put one hand out and one hand in, basically to like absorb their energy. 
and then redirect it towards him. And he pointed the other palm towards his opponent as if he was gathering Deflecting all it and putting it right at him. Yeah. And I just, oh, I got chills when I saw that. I'm like, fuck yes, dude. Fuck yes. That's, that, that's what fucking this, cool. That's, that's what this sport is all about. That, that is fucking that is. cool. That's my right new there. move. That's my new move. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And, and, and yeah. being in the corner out there, I got to feel all that and see all that from a first person's perspective. And I got to see how scary Jack Hermanson walking, walking out was because walking to that cage in his backyard with all of his fans and friends and family there, they were there to support him. He was a confident man. Mm. He was. I was like, oh shit, okay, we're in a fight. We're in a fight. And this was just a walkout to the cage. His walkout music, the look on his face, the energy was just beaming from his physical body and just, okay, this guy's confident. This guy's ready to go. I'm like, here we go. We're, 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 here, we're here to fist fight. We're going we're gonna to be in a fight right here. You are, you are not a typical human being at that point in time. No, for sure. No. Yeah, you're, uh, you know, it's, it's fight or flight. And these guys have been trained to access fight. But uh, uh, within, within seconds, the first exchange, the first time Jared hit this guy, you just saw the look on his face changed completely and when jared finished this guy and 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 got the tko he knocked him out a tko with an uppercut as he shot in i swear i remember jack hermanson literally crying he was on his back and like this somber he was crying and i said jared i was yelling at jared look at that man's face look at his face i wanted jared to see the look and the emotion on 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 jack hermanson's face because jared transmuted it from a a scary, you know, f- undefeatable yeah. fighter into seconds, a sombering, broken, weeping man. He, he did that I, thing. He, he took it all in and then, then put it yes. right back on him and said, yes. let me take all this booze and yes. put it right on you. And, and I and felt like it was important for Jared to visually see that in first person mm. so he can keep that in his mind and to, to know, to give him confidence moving forward to know how dangerous and powerful he truly is. You know, and, uh, <laughs> it's fucking cool. Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so, uh, Callie. I've got, yeah, go ahead, cut, go ahead, go no, ahead, I was just going to say, I've yeah. got a very different perspective of MMA and fighting now. And oh, I think cool. if people listen to this, maybe they do too, because, you Thank know, you. you just think that it's people stepping into into a cage and belting the shit out of each other. And I mean, that is part of it, but there's so much else behind it. Yeah, it's, it's about human development. You know, it's truly what it is. It's about human potential. And, um, man, it's awesome. It's nothing but, it's nothing but, but, uh, but love after the sport. You see these guys oh, God, and yeah. girls oh, yeah. that go in there and just fight each other tooth and nail. But afterwards, I mean, those hugs, mm-hmm. that embrace after the ring, that is genuine. That is a genuine embrace you see from these fighters that have just spilt themselves on that canvas you know, for, for the art of sport mm. and uh, that embrace after is truly genuine and it's a beautiful thing to see. Mm. So, <laughs> what, so Kelly, like we went and watched your, uh, was it Muay Thai? Jiu Jitsu. Jiu Jitsu tournament. And the, the one <clears throat> first um, bout that we watched, you know, that girl like jumped on you and she did something in your arm. I'm like, what is happening here? And all of a sudden the thing was over. I was like, what just happened? It happened so fast. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's going through your mind in, in, in that situation? So, you're like, oh, I, I screwed up. I knew that was going to happen, and I didn't defend it. So before I stepped on the mat, um, I looked at my coach. I looked at DLT, and he was next to me, and he was just like, oh, shit. And I was like, what? He was like, nothing. And I was like, oh, my oh, God, bro. I was like, don't oh. tell me. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I I, I was uh, kind of just hopping around, like, just to get the adrenaline up. Like, usually fighters will do some high knees, some sprints, mm-hmm. or something like that. And I usually just, like, hop around for a second. 
um, or dance or something. And so I looked at her and she had a blue belt on and, and there's different rankings as far as like belts and, uh, and, uh, jujitsu. So it goes white, blue, uh, purple, brown, black, black is the highest belt you can get. Um, and white is the beginner. And so I was competing at blue belt, but there's up to four stripes you can get before you reach another belt. And uh, I think I was kind of psyching myself out, especially after he said, like, oh, shit. And I looked at her belt, and she had, like, four stripes on her blue belt. And so I, like, stepped on the mat, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to wrestle. And so I, like, quickly just, like, shook her hand, and, like, I was going to go shoot in. She grabbed my lapel and my collar, and she jumped guard. Um, Jumping guard is a move you can pull in uh, jujitsu and just wins a lot of competitions usually because you – kind of get frazzled and for a while i was just training wrestling primarily um like jujitsu wrestling because it's all i mean we have an mma school we don't really train competition gi that much you know so she jumped guard and uh got me in her guard and i was trying to break her guard for a second and then i was like posturing up too much and she got she was gonna get me in a triangle but then i defended it and postured up even more and then i was like posturing up too far and she uh grabbed her own gi and wrapped it around my arm and then um, got the arm bar and tapped me. And I just wanted to tap early so that she didn't break my arm or anything because I wasn't about to pay $120 to get my arm broken. Oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, exactly. But uh, I talked to her after, and she was like, she's like, oh, I've been a blue belt for, like, five years now. Wow. And she's like, I'm trying to open my own gym. I was like, oh, shit, dude. And so I went up to DLT, and he was like, oh, yeah, she's been competing for a while. I was like, all right, cool. I was like, it's fine. Like, it's all right. It's just it it's adds part, of the, part of the experience, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to grow from that. Exactly, yeah. So – I think with every loss, too, like piggybacking off of the loss question, you kind of you realize what you fucked up on and what you did wrong. Um, and after that, it's like no one's ever going to do that to me again. Mm, like I that's that. the mindset you have to do. Exactly. Like you have to gain from it. It's like that's never going to fucking happen again. And so you still got the bronze medal, I believe. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask, like, like how you just described that fight. Uh, do you, can you recite? Every fight that you had, minute by minute, like that, especially mm. right, like you're almost twenty year, twenty years into it now. Yeah. Can you give a play by play of every fight that you've been in? It's got to be ingrained like in your mind. I yeah, think. for sure. Yeah. I can remember. I get a lot of guys say, "Oh, I just I, I, I drew a blank. I don't remember." Yeah, yeah, that's what I was asking. No, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty present in there. Totally I'm, I'm cerebral. Present. Yeah. yeah, like I'm I'm there moment by moment. I'm I'm big on. Uh, I'm big on applying all this knowledge and stuff that I've been learning and studying. And like I said, the power of now, there is universal cosmic power with the human being being present in the now, the right mm. now. You can change, mm. you can change the vibration and the shape of water molecules depending on how present you are when you drink your glass of water. Well, you can not only change the particles that make up water, but you can change the particles and the furthest sun, and the furthest solar system, and the furthest galaxy, and the furthest universe. That is the mental power that humans have and can access when they are present in the power of now. So it is nothing to, it is nothing to scoff at, it is nothing to, to, to it is a universal cosmic power. That's the power that human being wields. And uh, that's what I love about these sports is because we get to apply that mental power here in these sports, you know, and um, the ones that don't do the homework and don't men- get the mental reps in, as Callie brought up earlier, those individuals are going to have a, a longer, hard-felt road in these sports. You mm. know what I mean? Their losses are going to be 
way more damage to them mentally. You know, yeah. and it's going to be harder for them to get up and get to the gym and harder for them to, to live this life and do this sport. That's why uh, the, psych- the psychological side of it is so important just for the athlete's well-being and for their quality of life. You, know? you guys are aliens, I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, what is the, like, the, I don't know, the average lifespan of a professional MMA fighter? Like career-wise? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I always used to say, I think it was like, I, I've seen a lot of guys come and go, like guys that didn't make it. I see them give themselves about five to seven years. And then if they're not successful or made it pro by the, you know, five to seven years, they usually kind of pack up their stuff and find something else to do. Um, but usually if they're, you know, they got the skills and the psycholo- the psychology to kind of mm-hmm. do something worthwhile that they'll discover within their first five, you know, five to seven years or so. And, mm-hmm. you know, so what do you got to say, Kelly? Yeah, I would say about the same. Yeah. Um, I think you're... Let me ask you this. How many years do you have before you can compete for, like, a, uh, a world championship? Hopefully. How does that work? Like, what, is, what does the timeline look like? In a perfect world, what does the timeline look like? 30 is your peak. That's usually your prime in MMA is, like, 30. Um, so definitely around then, I feel like world title. Okay. So, what, like, what is the... Like, summarize, what, what does the path look like? What do you have to do next in order to get to that, that um, level? So I still need to become an amateur, like, MMA fighter. I'm still kind of dabbling in amateur striking, amateur mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu, amateur this and that and the other. Um, but the transition into amateur MMA um, needs to come first and after a few successful fights, which I'm sure won't take very long, um, maybe, like, five or six, like, amateur MMA fights and then a transition into a professional career. Um, you have to establish a contract from, like, a professional organization first, mm. um, kind of get well-known in the sport, too, to get that, like, follow-up, that, like, um, that audience to kind of target you and be like, hey, like, we think she's really good. Like, let's sign her on, like, a professional organization. And then that's when you have your professional debut, and then depending on how well that goes, you'll continue to get matched up and have, like, professional mm. fights and have a uh, – the, it's longevity. That's kind of what we're going for. So right now mm-hmm. I'm just taking advantage of the time that I have as an amateur and learning as much as I can, training at a professional um, level, trying to train with professional athletes or people who are very successful amateur MMA fighters that we do have at the lab um, and utilizing that the best that I can and taking advantage of the time that I have right now as an amateur so that when I am at that higher level as an amateur or professional it'll be a lot easier mm-hmm. for me to compete at that level because sure. I'm already ready. So, Rob, let me ask you this from a coach's perspective. Based on everything that Kelly just said, at what point are most people weeded out? Um, for sure, the, 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 the amateur ranks are to kind of weed people out to see if, they, if they're ready to go pro mm-hmm. and, and, and um, are not. And um, Yeah, you see, uh, I think the losses are, are just as detrimental to the amateur fighters as they are the pro fighters mm-hmm. you know, because uh, – um, just the the athlete, you know, questions themselves and if they're meant for this and what they why are they doing this? Because it's not easy. It's not an easy life. The life of a fighter is a very lonely and um, you know physical and uh, physical and mental mentally taxing life to live. You know, so you're right. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think the the athletes grow along with them as long as they're you know growing mentally too um, on this path and living this life and. Um, some guys, their fire for it kind of, you know, grows and gets 
it's, mm-hmm. gets bigger and their passion for it grows and like Callie's is, you know, or they get banged up and beat up and they discover, man, I don't, I don't maybe getting punched in the face isn't for me, you know, and, uh, and style wise, there, there's different, there's guys that are more grappler dominant. Those guys don't like to get hit as, as much, you know, and then there's strikers that can just go walk right towards you in a straight line. They're, just, they're not afraid of any exchanges, not afraid of getting hit. And, um, you know, there's different mindsets and athletes in these these sports. Even though we're, we're all trying to get the W and we all have the same goal, fight night, but there's different avenues of how athletes approach yeah. this stuff. So, how, first how you get to get the point. Financially, of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was going to say financially. How do you like manage it? Um. Yeah. So it, it's it's a look at Cali. <laughs> it's a hustle. It is a hustle. A lot of people want the glory and, and mm. you know the bragging rights of this sport, but they don't understand. It is a it is a fucking hustle. And a lot of these guys gonna go out there and work odd jobs and all that stuff. And then after their shifts over, come to the gym and then bust their ass for three four yeah. hours. Like when I say it is mentally and physically taxing, it is unlike anything else that you know the average person is doing out there. So you know like kudos like like the cali like i'm fascinated with, 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 with people especially females at a young age who are drawn to this this violent sport because like i said i've been in it over 20 years so i know how mentally and physically taxing it truly is and uh man cali's already been in the game you know over five years doing mm-hmm. her, her muay thai training and now she's grappling and starting to kind of etch herself and carve the stone that she's going to be you know and uh man it's cool i've seen her hard work and, and and I, I got all the faith in the world in this girl, and it's I'm excited to see you know what she does and where she takes it. So yeah, that's awesome. Oh, thanks, that's awesome. Um, let me ask a, a sensitive question. Okay, uh, I know we just mentioned it being like International Women's Month and stuff like that, and and you know Peta on the forefront of that. Um, is there a, a a form or a sense of sexism in uh, in MMA? Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes that go with women, um, in the sport specifically, but I feel like the hardest loophole that I've had to face as far as being a female in the sport training with men is, uh, the training in itself, like sparring and drilling and, and all that stuff, because men get really uncomfortable when they have to train with a female partner. I mean, they don't want to, I don't want to hold them back either, you know, from training with me, if that makes them Mm. feel uncomfortable. But it's honestly like, if I step on this mat barefoot, and you step on this mat barefoot, what, what does it matter? It's just skin, skin is skin, like it doesn't matter, you know, it's like we all sweat, we all bleed, we all breathe, you know, like it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But I think the hardest part too, is the intimidation and their own ego is the hardest thing to have to train with um, because you get some men who are, uh, again, just um, intimidated by you or have, like, a bigger ego, so that means they need to go harder with you mm-hmm. and try to assert their dominance mm. as a man uh, in the sport. Or you get the men who don't want to hit you because they don't want to hurt you because mama told them that they were never supposed that to would hit be a me. female. That would be me. Yes. And yeah, no, 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 that, that's, that, that's a you issue. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, in the I'm like, there's no way I could hit Callie. Come on. <gasps> yeah, well. Uh, you're l- right l- about that. L- there's l- no l- way you could hit She's talking about people. Even if you wanted to. She's talking about people bleeding. Uh, I'm pretty confident you would be the 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 most bleeder in, in that exchange. <laughs> <laughs> we got a bleeder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you get two different types of, like, perspectives when you're training as a female and, um, now that like I've kind of uh I mean even with my training partners now a year ago when I first started training with them they had that same reaction you know it's a natural response when you're training with Mm. somebody else from another gender you know it's like 
what's about to go down, you know? But after a while of training with them and, like, communicating, like, me being a female and talking about, hey, this is how I want to be treated. This is how I want to spar with you, you know? And I've had to straight up cuss men out while I'm sparring with them. Like, don't fucking hit me like that, you know? Or go harder with me. Like, I'm not a little bitch, you know? I'm going to put my hands up. I'm going to protect myself. I would rather you go harder with me than not hit me at all because... I feel like not hitting at me at all is kind of like a it's like a slap in the face. Mm. It's like, oh, you're not you're not good enough. Like I'm just gonna go light on you. But it you goes against like just, social norms though. It does, but our sport goes against social norms. Mm. Like you don't see people fighting in the street with Bingo. gloves on, you know what I mean? Like but you I walk on that mat signing a li- liability waiver saying, Hey, I know what the fuck I'm about to get into. Like, you know, like I'm here to train. Like I'm here to show up. I, I think I very, very good perspective, but uh, as far as the ego goes, yeah. she even mm. said it. It's it's more about your ego thinking that you can't hit her versus what she can actually handle, yeah. and that's your ego, yes. not hers. And, and that's no, a very no, important. I don't think point. it's ego though. I think it's like just uh, values. No, no, no. Yes, no, but like if you're, it, it's more ego because if you're if you're worried about the female's reaction, that's her ego. That's her ego knowing, like, she signed up for this. She knows what she was about to walk into. And if she got punched in the face and started crying, that's her own journey to walk yeah. through. And she can decide whether or not she's made for it. This is really exactly. interesting. PETA, yeah. I'm sure you have something yeah. to say about this. Oh, I, I totally agree with everything Ali said. Because it's you, you choose to walk the path that you want to walk. So everybody are humans i've said it before treat everybody equally and and we'll all get along it's you know if you're willing to step into that fight then treat me as an equal yeah exactly and i think my introductory to the sport too like i had coaches who would who would beat me down you know and they were like twice three times my size and they would beat me to the floor and they'd be like get up like this is a sport suck it up if you don't want to do it don't do it and you can walk out of my gym right now but if you want to do it do it, you know, and like they laughed at me when I told them I wanted to do a minute. They didn't believe me, you know, and the more I kept showing up and the more that I kept getting up after being beaten mm-hmm. down, I think they really started saying, oh, shit, this girl like really wants it, you know. So. And Rob, I mean, you've been a part of uh, MMA since before women became very prevalent in the sport. Oh, yeah, there was no women involved yeah. when I was. I, I remember Dana White doing the first speech when he said, there will there will never be a mm. female fight in the UFC as long yep. as I'm with this company. I remember watching him do mm. that inter- interview live. Really? And it was it was wow. about two years from that speech is when they had the first female fight. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, And that is a short amount of time, bro. Yeah. This yeah. will never happen super to... Short. It was also him promoting that, right? Yeah, super short. So uh, my good friend, Chris Cyborg, she was actually Ooh. just out here in Arizona. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked with her for like 10 fights. Yeah, Callie, oh, Callie wow. on a meter. So That's awesome. I, I was in her corner. I did her so diet jealous. and nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like her, spa- her sparring partner for like, yeah, 10 of her fights. She, uh, four, she had four... Four champions, uh, uh, ch- championship belts in Invicta, uh, which is the the female MMA promotion the UFC created, essentially to keep Cyborg from fighting and beating Ronda Rousey. <laughs> I <laughs> remember that controversy. Yeah, yeah, yes. they, they yeah. I remember yeah. that. Ronda Rousey was because she was like the, she was yes. the golden child, right? The golden yep. goose, but yeah. like the real the real fans of the sport knew who Chris Cyborg mm-hmm. was. And so they never, they didn't want Chris to beat Ronda. So they literally, the UFC literally created a whole other promotion that, that just allowed female fighters to fight. And it was called Invicta. And so uh, Chris Cyborg was the champion 
Uh, four, she won four championship fights in Invicta. She won, f- and then she was in the UFC champ. She won four of the UFC fights uh, champion. And then she also uh, was in Bellator, and she has four Bellator uh, belts. So uh, I got to see, like, the female in- introduction into the sport from, like, her her perspective, the most violent girl in the world. And I got to see, mm. you know, the sport kind of blow up and develop and now be in a platform where girls like Callie can aspire to be world champions themselves. And it, it's cool. One one thing that I, I do notice, and that it's, not, it's not a knock on it at all, but uh, sex sells in every single industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the digital mm-hmm. sure. it's, it's sex sells in every yeah. industry. Yep. So, so what you do see is these females, if they just have a little bit of talent and they're decently good looking, they get moved up the ranks way faster than the guys have, uh, do. You know, mm-hmm. guys that have been busting their ass. They may, they, the guys might, might, might need five or ten more fights more than these girls. Because mm. if, you're, if you're a girl, just say Callie goes and, and she wins her next five amateur fights over the next two years or whatever, and then she, she gets signed to, like, a, a major local promotion, say LFA or something, yeah. she, she'll just need, like, four wins. Yeah. And four wins. Yeah. And then she'll be able to get in the UFC. Yeah. No guys can get into the UFC just on four wins unless you are a former Olympian. Oh, or, wow. Or a world some champion. Credentials or, or have, some credentials. Or some story legit, behind. Not, yeah. not just credentials, but some, I'm talking Olympic level credentials. Oh, wow. To get to get under gotcha. five wins and to get in the UFC as yeah. a male, I'm talking you must have Olympic level credentials. Or, right. you know what I mean? Rob, Rob, is that because there's more males in it? you got four like, wins, right? Um, four wins. She's um, got it in her. More than four wins. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, <laughs> gone. she's gone. We're in on the ground but level with her. To piggyback <laughs> off of that too, there's not a lot of females who also have the same grit, the same mentality as like a male, too. Yeah. So a lot of these women are kind of in it just for the fame and the success of like. Um, yeah, I was gonna ask about fighter. that. Of, yeah. of like, what's the yeah. what's the split? Or like, how many I mean, are just? How do you separate yourself versus the ones that are just there for the? Definitely for the, for the, the clicks. The skill. Like I skill. I would rather be known for my violence yes. than than anything else. You know? I tell Sean that all the time. That's why I'm I, like, yeah. Sean, I am a violent human being. You should watch yourself around yeah, me. Please. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> please. We all know. That's I why I the conversation not to, like post any like super girly. Like that's why I try yeah. to be straight modest on like my Instagram, all my social media. I mean, not just Love because it. I have other like little girls like inspiring, you know, like to look up to me. But too that's something. Stuff. That's an but interesting point though, because you do have a lot of younger females looking up to you. Yeah, that and like you know, I just know that. Like, I would rather be known for, like, my fighting. So I would try to post more, like, of my training and my fights and my competitions or, like, my mind, like, the the intelligence that I've developed. I'd rather post that than, like, have an OnlyFans or some shit, you know, promoting, like, my ass and tits all over the social media. And then that's how I make my money. Like, because, I mean, it is a good side hustle to do when you're in the sport. It's easy. It makes you a hell of a lot of money as a female, you know, doing it. And mm. you get the social attention and platform that you need in order to become a successful fighter. But that's not the that's not who yeah. I want to be known for. I'll, I'd love this this lady even but but Peter, have you signed up for Rob's fans only? <laughs> oh yeah, fans his only fans, only fans only. Probably make it tonight with the nickname Saint on it. Oh my god, <laughs> oh, yeah. the Saint is back! The Saint show. is back! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so let, let, I mean, shit. let's if there is any way possible, um, different generations here, obviously. Um, how do mm. you? How do you equate what you learned 
uh, being a part of MMA to the real world. And, and it's, I think there's probably some struggles there. Like, Rob, you've been at the highest level, and now it's like the real world. You know, it's like the re- there has to come a point. You're not there yet, but there has to come a point where it's like, I have to realize that I can no longer com- compete at the highest level. You have to accept that. That's got to be difficult to do. Um, yeah, I'm kind of at those that crossroads right now with everything, especially with my injury and my shoulder. Um, hopefully, if it all goes well, I'll be fighting later this year in August um, for a big promotion, uh, UFL. That's that's growing up out here. A lot of our guys are are, yeah. are, are tied into it. So, um, hopefully, get to go out there and, and fight later this year. But yeah, uh, it's something I've been I've been doing my whole entire life, martial arts, since I was nine years old. You know, so and over over thirty years and. Um, um, it's, it's crazy. You hear about, and then with this injury, I haven't been able to train the last like, you know, seven months or so. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's had a, a psychological effect on me. And you hear about these athletes that retire <coughs> and they have almost an, an identity. Uh, you know, uh, that's where I'm going. Exactly. Issue. And yep. it's a real thing. It's a real issue. And I guess, depending on how big, uh, someone's ego is, uh, I guess it would dictate how much, how hard it is for them to cross that road. But, um, you know what? I, I, I've only known martial arts and fighting, and, and, and my entire life and um, um, the last few years and especially since I moved here to Arizona I've I've definitely opened uh, a more educational and um, side to myself that I never even knew I mm. had and that's just all studying all this really cool literature and stuff that I've been studying when I'm outside the gym I'm in the books and I'm learning about alchemy and hermetics and basically a lot of knowledge that's been kept from our species and especially here in the west for thousands mm. of years and um it's very cool for me because uh, I get to apply this stuff here in the real world. And um, the m- martial arts lifestyle is the best life to apply this stuff. And um, I- I'm, I'm completely happy with where I'm at. And, and I, again, I get a, uh, I'd like to do some more bare knuckle fights before I hang it up completely and just do some more realistic, like mm. live violence fight and live, you know, live violent yeah. fights and put it all on the line. And again, uh, for me, it's just about uh it's not even about going out there and winning anymore or like the fame and glory. It's about, it's about testing myself and, and getting the best version of myself out there that night. You know mm. what I mean? And, uh, and doing all the work and reps up until fight night. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's like you're ascending to a better version of yourself. Mm. almost like the Phoenix, every camp you have, oh, every fight you have, you know what I mean? And it's like, yep. uh, I love it. That's why I'm so passionate about uh, this. Uh, uh, Rob, it's not crazy. It's, uh, aspirational like wanting to be the best version of yourself is a yeah. very admirable trait I yeah. love it. I but, love but think about it though it's like you know sean and i we look at it from like we want to be the best at what our individual crafts are me as a land surveyor you as a what are you well i don't know you're an engineer of yeah. some sort yeah but you guys like the craft that you are aspiring aspiring to be the best at it's like at such a different level. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it definitely, it finds you. And then you're like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah. is this really, is this really it? And then you start doing it and your path starts reaffirming it, you know, by your fights, by your coaches, by your teammates. And you're like, okay, like, this is it. This is time. It's time to, time to be the best at it. You know? yeah. The yeah. 1%. You said that earlier, right? It's like the 1%. Less than 1%. Yeah. Yeah, less than 1%. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I love it. It's what, that's why I got this tattoo in my head, this guy Tigress. He's the only, Tigress. Yep. The only undefeated gladiator champion of ancient Rome. 
to never die in the Colosseum. So yeah. because he never died, the uh, the emperor of Rome at the time um, gave him his 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 freedom papers, and he earned his freedom by fighting for it. You know, and uh, uh, we're talking going back to fight or flight. There is a special upgrade that takes place. There, there, there's literally psychic genes that are in our DNA, all of our DNA right now. And uh, the only way to unlock these genes is by putting yourself in the state of fight or flight, believe it or mm. not. That's why all these secret societies, once these initiates make it in, quote unquote, there, there's almost like a, a ritual that's done that is supposed to um, embody uh, death. And then after this, this ego death, there's a, a realization or a knowledge that is um, given that makes them a more ascended version of themselves. And um, again, it's fight or flight. When the human being is put in a fight or flight, back in the day when you ran away from a saber-toothed tiger and you survived and you mm. got away from that saber-toothed tiger, you were a more advanced human being for doing so rather than the complete opposite mm. scale would be to give in and to submit and to die and lose your life. You know what I mean? So we're talking about superhuman stuff here, and it's mm. there's nothing more fascinating. I follow like Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, all these guys who are they're at the leading cutting edge of of, of like uh, the human mind and epigenetics, and as far as uh, the power of our mind over the governing of our body and cells, mm -hmm. and even going into quantum physics and the power of our mind over um, how our mind has dominance over everything, all matter, all particles, right? It's, it's fascinating stuff, and so I get to kind of like just, for me, MMA and martial arts is almost very ground level. It's a very surface level, as crazy and as violent and as spiritual as we're talking about. Um, there is still stuff out there that I'm learning about this season of my life that is wow. just so much more in depth, and that is the human being and the mind of the human being and what we're all capable of. Mm. Well, I mean, I equate it to like the, uh, you know, we talk about evolution and there's a physical evolution of a species and then eventually it turns mm. into a mental evolution. And I see the, com the those two things interacting in and, you know, in the MMA and it, it has both. And I think that that's a very unique thing. And I mean, it's like a culmination. It's, it's gotta of, be, uh, I look at it as like <laughs> a out of body experience. It's gotta be. For yeah. sure. Let's end it on a lighter note. Um, Kelly, what are, what are, what's a common misconception about an MMA fighter? Ooh. Yeah. Um, let's see. That you really, really like getting your face bashed in? Oh yeah. <laughs> or that we're super mean and tough and horrible people <laughs> that we walk around just angry <laughs> at the world. No, I, I think that's one of them for sure. But yeah. I like, my coaches and my um, teammates, and especially with the people at the top level at the lab, like Benson Henderson, he's the most friendly, humble, down-to-earth family mm. man, and he loves God. Like, you know, he just constantly has this radiant energy when he walks into the room, and he's just smiling and mm. dancing and talking to you. He is the most, like, calm person, but he is the most savage person crazy. in the world. To ever exist. You know in, what, in the Kelly? That's how I walk into the office every day. <laughs> it's yeah. like Sean. Sean looks at me and he goes, <laughs> that "That's is the one most of the most savage <laughs> individuals I know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. gonna get you a shirt with that. Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. that on. What do you think about that, Rob? Um, 
Rob's like, what did you ask? Hey. <laughs> What's the common he, he misconception? Can't, he can't get over the fight. picturing I, you as the most savage human being. Yeah, I was stuck. I was stuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, common mo- misconceptions about MMA. Yeah, I, I'd have to say uh, the IQ part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, you're just a no dumb question. fighter. What do you know? Uh, CTE, all this other shit and all that. And Man, people have no idea. Your intelligence is not a shoe size. You are not stuck with, like, your intelligence for the rest of your Your intelligence can grow and diminish at mm. any time. I mean... By, by even just throwing a jab, you literally fire a new neuron, and your brain becomes more developed just by doing one action. You know what I mean? So, fighters are in, and they're doing thousands of actions every practice. So they're literally more intelligent person after every single practice. And mm. these guys, we practice twice a day, about five or six days a week for years. And so, um, yeah, I'd say the biggest misconception is undermining a fighter's intelligence. Mm. I mean, awesome. All right, guys, it's been a blast. Uh, I do ask one question of everyone before we end, and I'll ask it you individually. Uh, Cassie, you first. Uh, do you have a mantra that you live by? Live by the sword, die by the sword, baby. Live by Ooh, the sword, die by the sword. Like it. <laughs> like it. Rob, how about you? Um, I, honestly, I'd have to say uh, mind over matter. Mm. And you know what? You got to stop and look at that that slogan. Mind never matter. Well, what is matter? Mm. Matter. What is, is matter? That goes way deeper. What is matter? Uh. Matter is everything you have ever known. Period. Mm. Matter is anything, everyone that you have ever known. Period. And so, mind your mind. Anyone's mind that's listening to this podcast, your mind is greater than any matter known to anyone and uh this is this is quantum physics all of quantum physics is based off this fact it's crazy you guys seen dr emoto's work in japan with mm-hmm. the water molecules that's just that's very surface level you can uh it's crazy your mind can change i mean if it affects water molecules just by writing words on the on a bottle or a cup of water then imagine the effect it has on yourself and your body cells of how you think about yourself how you talk to yourself mm-hmm. you know what i mean Yep. It's so important, man. Self-talk, self-love, self-appreciation. It goes it goes such a long way. And Callie's a, a big advocate for that, too. And I just love this girl's energy and, and her spirit and her heart and her mind. And she's going to do amazing things in this sport and this life. And she's going to be a light for a lot of females in, in this world and, and guide them to, you know, live a really cool and, and, and you know, happy life. So I'm really awesome. excited for her. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Big loud. This is fantastic. <laughs> what else, Sean? You got anything else, buddy? Man, I'm 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 just amazed. Uh everything you guys are I mean, I I could sit here for hours. I I really appreciate you guys coming. I mean, this has been awesome. Thank you for inviting us. Peter, how about you got anything else? No, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm glad so I So good guys. Thank you so much for spending your time yeah, with us this you. evening. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. All right, adding value and uh, making friends. I believe so. Does it? As always. As always. Would like to be a guest at a future show or have any uh, ideas for uh, topics, reach out to us at info at thegeoholics.com. Queen, we will rock you. We will. Everywhere. Until next time, what is matter? Oh, my gosh. What is matter? Who the hell knows? Uh, That's the best definition I've ever heard. Revisit this. Does it matter? Most importantly... (laughs) Be safe and healthy, everybody.